Welcome to Horrible Friends. It's a podcast about horror movies where we kind of talk about a bunch of stuff. Uh, we're going to go ahead and walk you through a little bit of story, uh, a little bit of history, actually. We're going to talk to you a little bit about the plot, and we are going to kind of sum it up in a nice little bow at the end with our spoopy meter. Uh, this week, we have Insidious. Starting off, I'm Kyle. I'm Chris. I'm Dan. And I'm Jarvis. And we're going to go ahead and give this one over to uh, Dan to give us a little bit of the history and, and maybe some fun little tidbits, and then uh, we'll pass it along. Yeah, but you you know it's been like a year since we've done like anything. We we like, maybe or uh, or or it's been a day and we just didn't release this for like a year. <laughs> Have I been asleep? <laughs> that happens what? to me sometimes. Someone forgot to wake him up when September ended. What? World War Three? What? No, no, no. Sit back down. This it's twenty it's twenty eleven ten. It's insidious. It's twenty eleven ten. Ten. As dark of a film as this is, uh those years were much brighter for me. Much, much brighter. I will say that. Same. Maybe. Uh I was unemployed. Um, <laughs> so insidious. Um Released in 2011 in the, in the States, uh, 2010, if you look online, as per the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, this movie was directed by James Wan, which you may know him from such films. Man, I really went like uh, whatever that Simpsons guy name is. There. You may know him uh, from such films such as Saul, Malignant, The Conjuring, and Aquaman. What, uh, dude, what a repertoire that guy has. That is, that is quite a portfolio. Hey, Aquaban. <laughs> no, he definitely does. And he definitely has his um, select group of actors he also likes to use a lot, like Patrick Wilson being in this and Conjuring and Aquaman. So our writer for this is Lee Winnell. Lee Winnell is known for doing writing movies like Saul, Dead Silence, and The Invisible Man. I really liked The Invisible Man. Oh, was pretty Invisible good. Man was a good movie. Yeah, sure. I really liked it. Dead Silence is one of my all-time favorites in terms of horror. So, like, pretty studded cast. In terms of horror movies that we could have watched or maybe we shouldn't have watched, I don't know. Uh, 2011 definitely had some bangers, uh, such as You're Next, The Thing, The Remake, and Paranormal Activity 2. I remember this is kind of like one of the groups that I think is kind of a decade defining, uh, like set of films between this, the conjuring, um, sinister. This, this is definitely right up there with kind of like the staples of the 2010s, in my opinion, for the, for the horror genre. And what's unfortunate is it took me 10 years to probably really see any of these movies. Did it really? Why? Uh, I just never did. I don't know why. Cause that was before I really got back into like watching actual horror movies. Cause I'm what you uh, refer to as a, a scared little boy. Mm. Yep. Nope. That's apt. Yeah. Uh, so Jackie was the one that finally got me to watch a lot of these movies. And that's why I uh, recommended insidious uh, for this episode. Since I just, uh, just recently watched this Halloween on a, uh, I watched the second insidious and that was really good. Shout out to Jackie, wearing the pants, taking yours off, and keeping the horror right and tight in the household. Mm-hmm. 
So our runtime for this was, I think it was like an hour and 43, about 103 minutes. So not a super long movie, De- decent time to it. Was that loud? Uh, you could hear it, but it wasn't loud. You're fine. Okay. Uh, the budget for this movie, movie made um, what you would say is a lot of money, uh, had a budget of <laughs> $1.5 million. Um, and worldwide, it grossed a hundred million. So, yeah, pr- pretty, pretty deep. Did you say one point five? One point five million. There's not a fucking chance in hell this movie was made on one point five million dollars. That's twenty ten dollars. Still, man, like the production that's quality, actually, of this is phenomenal. And that's like two thousand eight dollars, which it maybe if they were worse, better dollars. I don't know, but wow, that's that's pretty cheap. Oh, still, yeah, it's uh, unbelievable what they were able to accomplish on a legitimately low budget. And I think we've done enough episodes now to know, like, a film of this caliber on that budget is pretty astonishing. I agree, especially like the whole. I mean, I guess they definitely save money with the whole the idea of like the further and how it is just like emptiness, and so basically just empty soundstage, fog machine. Evil area. Perfect. Yep. Kill, kill the lights. Keep it simple. We're going to make some fucking dough. They don't have to know we're in my bathroom. <laughs> I was trying to just move to the next one. And I just thought of it actually being in Chris, Chris's actual bathroom. I was like, they don't need to know they're in my bathroom. Like, I don't... I don't know. Door opens, light comes on. Jackie, get out. We're shooting a movie. (laughs) We're all just taking a nice shit together. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, the filming location of this is um, in LA. LA? Damn it. Yeah, literally nothing interesting. It's in LA. Like the houses that the films are in LA, it's at a film studio. No, it's it's in LA. I don't know. The fact that they're able to shoot in LA and still only have like a $1.5 million budget. The mob has something to do with this. I'm positive. There's no way. There's no earthly way. The catering alone. They had, so you got two houses, right? That's where they supposedly filmed it. But I, I think that. Some of the shots were there, and then I imagine some were probably in like a studio or whatever. Chris's but, bathroom. Hey, Chris's My bathroom. bathroom. Chris's but bathroom. If this was 2008, 2009, when they started filming, the housing market had completely collapsed at that point. So maybe recording in somebody's house was like cheap. I don't know. <laughs> I want to I mean, sell my house. Well, I won't buy your house, but I'll give you some money to let us film a movie here. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of like special effects or anything going into this. So it was a lot of like makeup yeah. and lighting and That's fair. and different things like that, not like Transformers Michael Bay special effects. So maybe that's how they were able to save money. Yeah, like there wasn't like any crazy CGI, like it was mainly practical for the little bit that there was. I think we can all agree it comes down to one key takeaway. James Wan, you brilliant bastard. Yeah, one hundred percent. The man knows how to shoot a good movie. It's time for your guys' favorite part. It is the taglines. So I only picked three as per your guys' request because for some reason you don't like how I... How many were there? Like 20? I don't know. I mean, there were Shut five up. this time. There, there were <laughs> oh, only five okay. this time. So I gave you two good ones and a bad. Ooh. And now we get to decide which was what. We get to guess. Yeah, mm. yeah. I'll do them in a random order. All right. 
So we have the further you travel, the darker it gets. That's the good one. It's got to be the good one. Yeah, that has to be the good one because I like so that good. one a lot. Okay, well, let's see. We have two more. The next one is, what's in that picture? <laughs> okay, uh, that is my <laughs> that is my naked Polaroid that I took a long time ago. I'm gonna need to get that back, James. I'd really appreciate it if you didn't share that with anyone. I don't. Why are you writing that down? Why are you? What are you doing? <laughs> I gave this to you in confidence because you said I looked good that day. So. so, so I think the the picture has to do with the thing where at the end we see like he never gets photographed. So it's like the old lady. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I think that's what they were going Just for. Rich. Uh, well, here's our last one. So you found the bad one. So here's our last one. Here's our last good one. We need to save Dalton. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Now. Are you sure? <laughs> sorry. There, there were three dots there. Sorry. I had to, had to pause. I, I didn't. Okay. I, I, I actually do like, I, I do like that one. I do like, I mean, that's a, center, that's a central plot to the film. So okay. I mean, sure it is, but also like, if I don't know anything about this movie and I just see the tagline <laughs> is we have to save Dalton, I'm just going to be like, who the fuck's Dalton? And why should I care? You mean you know, my nephew? If, Dalton? But if, you, but if you look at that picture, like the, the literal cover for this movie and it says we need to save Dalton, you look at that kid's face, you'd be like, hmm. Probably won't though. Yeah, I'm probably won't. I'm gonna stay the you fuck away from that kid. Not Sounds have like the, the t-shirt. To saving Private Ryan. I don't know. <laughs> did, did you not have the t-shirt that said like "Free Dalton"? <laughs> Free Come Dalton. on, Dalton. <laughs> well, with that, I am going to hand this over to Chris, who is going to uh, do something. I don't know. I haven't done this in a long time. What do you got, Chris? All right. Well, thank you, Dan. So our movie starts with a lovely married couple of Josh and Renee Lambert, their sons, Dalton and Foster and their baby daughter, Callie. And they've recently uh, moved into a new home. Uh, Shortly after one evening, Dalton sneaks away to explore the attic because he's a stupid little child. And uh, he encounters a frightening entity and he falls down. And uh, the next day he basically slips into a coma. So, so just um, not to jump in too quick, but like, there's a couple things I really liked because the beginning of the movie is my favorite. The, the ending is where it kind of falls apart for me and it feels like a generic movie. Um, but like just scenes like that enclosed kitchen, it, it felt very stressed. It felt like a lot of family stress there. And like, I don't know, it was like a good way to convey that without overemphasizing it. Um yeah, the the like, I don't know. That that's 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 what I got. Like, I, I just I like the feeling in the beginning of the movie. It, it just it it fe- it built really well. I think like, I get what you're saying. Where yeah. kind of it kind of rests like a lot of the tension is being built on the family, like the the typical normal situations one would expect. But there's almost a safety in that, even though it's cluttered, right? So like a lot high anxiety, baby crying, kids running around, you know, mom and dad trying to cook dinner, do chores. But there's almost the safety in that, and it's when you kind of venture further into sort of like the the open area and the the spacious parts of the home is where we encounter uh, the the not so safe parts. So I, 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 I don't know if that's what you were going for, but like, that's what I got. And, uh, I, I really like how they conveyed that as well. You know what? That sounded really smart. So yeah, that was definitely what I was going for. <laughs> yeah. I, I like how they built the the character of the dad. 
uh, he was th- the worst dad to begin with. And honestly, he didn't get terribly much better throughout the whole film, but he does have a character change. So he's like, he's like, I can't do anything for the kids. I got to go. Bye. I'm an important teacher. Goodbye. Goodbye. And like just dipped. Um, I also wanted to say that, you know, uh, he's a teacher. She's a stay at home mom who makes jingles, apparently bad ones, by the way, because she rhymed way with somebody, um, which is awesome. <laughs> and uh, their budget That's for this a, film is Yes. And their budget for this home is two and a half million dollars. So like, <laughs> it, what a ridiculous thing. Yeah. I, I agreed to, with everything else you guys said. It was pretty, uh, uh I, I don't know, man. This was the opening uh, said a lot about the characters. So that, that's all we'll go with. Yeah. And then the, the what the fuck moment of like the kid slipping into a coma. I was like, it, it, it jumped into like a real world horror situation. Like it felt, it felt real. Cause yeah. it's like, that's like a real fear that. You could be like, oh my God, if that happened to my kid, if that happened to a family member of mine, like that's devastating. So uh, it, it pulled me in with like real concerns. I, I would say that it seemed a little comically quick though. It was like, oh, I agree uh, with that. Oh, the, the, the kid fell down. Oh, he's a little sleepy. Immediately emergency room. Yep. He's in a coma. Uh, okay. <laughs> cool. No, the plot moves quick. <laughs> plot moves quick from there. And I'm, there's a lot to get through. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, uh, since I watched The Conjuring before I saw this movie, um, it was really hard for me to see Patrick Wilson in this movie at first because I, after watching the, uh, I think I watched the first two Conjuring movies before I saw this. So it was really hard not to see him as like Ed Warren from those movies and see him in like a more modern movie, not modern, but like during like a modern era. And I, I just kept thinking like, oh, he's a teacher. Oh, but I thought he's supposed to, you know, go perform exorcisms with his wife and keep a demonic doll locked in his house. Oh, oh, wait, no, right. Different movie. Different James Bond movie. That's right. Well, I, I, I told you, Chris, I, I think I told everybody. I thought that this movie was... Um uh, you thought it was sinister. sinister. The whole time. I was like, I was like, eventually we're going to watch snuff films. I know they're coming at some point. And eventually we're just going to cut to Ethan Hawke in an attic watching a snuff. Film. Yeah. And then the kid went into coma and I was like, it's a weird way to transition into snuff films, but I know that they're coming. There's no wrong answer for transitioning into a snuff film. That's the thing. It's a, it's a blank canvas, a beautiful, blank, horrifying canvas. That's the thing. Like, I still stuck around because you never know when a snuff film is going to happen. <laughs> was it, I think it was around this time that, like, you know, the hobo and the screwdriver thing went around. Like, I remember that in high school. So, yeah, this would be an appropriate time for a snuff film to just kind of wiggle its way into, into regular media. So um, about after three months of, you know, uh, treatment in the hospital for Dalton with no results, and he's still in a coma, uh, Renee and Josh take him back home. And that's when they start to experience some really weird paranormal shit going on in the house. Like uh, Renee's hearing voices over the baby monitor when there's no one in the baby's room. Uh, like Foster says that Dalton walks around at night, even though he's in a coma. Uh, they hear things at the door and they set the alarm. Uh, Renee sees like a frightening figure in Callie's room and the alarm goes off. Um, Josh starts having visions, um, but he's barely home because he's working late most of the time. Well, two things. Uh, you, you mentioned him working late. One, did you guys see the saw doll on the whiteboard? Totally. Oh, no, I, I did not. 
was I was cracking up when I saw that. Yeah, something they just like drew it on the whiteboard behind him when he's like stressing out at his desk. Yeah, Very I gotta cool. love the little throwback touches. Very cool. This whole sequence, right? I mean, this this whole sequence, I mean, this we're we're talking about well, I mean, we're kind of splicing together about, you know, to anywhere from like 15 to 20 minutes of the film, right? Because this is this is really like the part where things start to amp up. The baby monitor, I remember being like the first part. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like I, it, it gets your blood pumping a little bit. A hundred percent. And the, but the, you know, the connecting factor between all these things is that uh, Josh is not around, right? So he's definitely kind of, pre- or all these, all these otherworldly entities are kind of preying on the weakness of Renee having, you know, having to deal with Dalton and his, his medical situation. And then just the, just the regular kind of ins and out of everyday life with three kids. Um, and it, there was, there was something familiar about it to me. And I think that's why it was just so, it, it really, it's scary, man. That baby monitor got me good. It did. Yeah, that shit bothered me so hard. <laughs> and I sat there and thought, like, you know, it'd be that thing of, like, I need to go in there and check on my child. But also the terrified uh, white man of me was also like, um, we could we could probably have another kid, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Plus another one out, no problem. Yeah. I... I, uh, the, the moment where I was like, this is a nope situation is when the door got knocked on and I, and he immediately was like, I'm going to go open the door. And I was like, why the fuck are you opening the door at 12 o'clock at night when someone's knocking on it? Like it's either a crackhead or someone trying to kill you. Like, I mean, these are my only two. This is my thought process. I don't know. As the moment where I say, Jackie, go check on the door. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be up here under the blanket of safety. See, I wonder it, what the ratio is to actual paranormal events to crackheads just knocking at the door. <laughs> you know? It's probably it's probably nowhere near as close as you think. I don't think yeah. the FBI would release the metrics, but I, I gotta know a guy who knows a guy, you know? <laughs> I I do have to say that the speaking of the, the, the guy going out to the door and whatnot, uh the first time he makes it to the door, that door was not locked. Like he opened the door after the alarm or whatever it was uh, that that and he he relocks it and then it obviously comes back open and that that's that's the spooky part is when it's like kaboom but i have a feeling these are the type of people not to lock their door at night and um i don't get that <laughs> like i've never not locked my door it's terrifying not to no i lock that's all scarier. the doors i go even even though i know i've locked the doors i will walk back downstairs and i go to each of the doors in the house and i double check yeah are there people who don't i yes. I, I feel like i feel like we're way Canadians. past that canadians my- my <laughs> my parents didn't t- most terrifying way to sleep at night for huh. you know twenty something years. Is it thrilling? Is it a sex thing? Mm, it, no, it's no, just no, a thrill maybe. of ooh. We we watched all this like discovery murder. You know, maybe that'll be us. Ooh, you know, we're really the, they were really in the law and order. So you might be on to something. Yeah. Murder what? porn, man. It's a real thing. Somewhere between, uh, but between where we're at in the story and a little bit further back, they did say the, they did say insidious, which I did appreciate that. They, they said the, the name of the film, which was awesome. They were like, it's insidious. And I was like, Oh, it is. It's the movie. Yay. <laughs> they said <laughs> the it. Thing. They said the name. Um, they, I also have here uh fuck child leashes. What? 
what kid got on a child leash? They talk about child leashes or something. Cause I, I have that. It is down. one of the most white people things. It ever. is. I, and apparently I had one, which is probably why I hate them. Like my parents <laughs> told me that years later, like, Oh yeah. Were you, you a leash child? They put me on a leash. Bro. And I'm like, so many things are making yeah, sense. Yeah. I was going to say it does explain a lot of things. And now I think back to my life. I should have been on a leash. <laughs> Jarvis should have been on a chain link. Oh my God. I was. It just wasn't my parents holding the other end. Who <laughs> was holding it? You know. No, no comprende. <laughs> the crackhead babysitter, that one. Um, a gentleman never tells of who was holding his leash and studded assless chaps. <laughs> Uh, okay, so yeah, back to like the crazy shit going on in the house. Like, even Josh finally does come home, but he's still having more ridiculous, crazy visions. And eventually, Renee gets attacked by this ghostly figure in the house. And I will say, unlike most white people in horror movies, they're like, "All right, yeah, we're moving out. We're leaving." Yeah, they actually did the thing. They did the impossible. We should, yeah, we, we should all be proud of them. And I was. I mean, Josh at this point has disassociated so much i mean the, the staying late and everything but I, I think it comes to a head and then when she gets attacked and he realizes like yeah yep nope there, there's nothing there's nothing i can do to remedy this we have i he completely gives in and uh they move from one gorgeous house to another slightly less but still very nice house yes uh very much and on, on would you believe salary. that yeah on a teacher salary <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to know more about that, Dan. Um, are we calling bullshit here? I'm calling 100% bullshit on well, no. this. It's her jingles. She makes all the money for the family via her jingles that she puts she out better. once every 12 years. She better. Um, but our, you know, we'll get to the spoopy meter later. Ooh, oh, boy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they moved to a new house. And unfortunately for them, uh, spooky shit still happens in the new house. Um, this is when we kind of come up to one of one of the uh, infamous scenes where Renee sees a uh, dancing young boy in like a in like period clothing, and that's when we hear the wonderful uh, song that has become associated with this movie. Funniest shit I've ever seen. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like it, pure comedy gold of like looking through the window and nothing's there, and then coming back around looking at it again, and then it's like. <laughs> the thing is, though, as funny as it is to me, that shit also scared me to death. Just oh, the no, I through the tops. <laughs> oh, God, I yeah. laughed at it. I laughed at it so hard. Oh, my God. Um, oh, yeah, the, there's the uh, the child laugh and the moving rocking horse with no one on it in there, too. That was uh, unsettling. At this point, Josh's mom, uh, Lorraine, arrives and explains like her scary dream and visions of the house they're now in and a demon. And while they're talking, like it's a very, just very calm setting. There's no music. There's nothing. It's just like a casual dialogue scene. And as Lorraine's talking, there's a quick cut to Josh and behind him is a red faced demon. Just chilling there, staring at Lorraine. So when we meet Lorraine, right. And she does the walkthrough of the home. Uh, that is a great scene. Her facial expressions, everything about her, uh, in, in the scenes that kind of follow, like the explanation, a little bit of the expose of the film. Um, she, is, she's such a great, such a great character in this. But if, if we're, if we're just going to skip over a lot of that, 
Holy fucking shit. All right. Don't think of it from the, from the last time you saw the film. Think of it from the first time. Did that not scare the ever living fuck out of you? Oh, it absolutely did. Scared the ever living shit out of me. I nearly leapt off the couch. Yeah, I think I had that down as it actually like it, it spooked me. I was like, I knew it was coming, but still like that the timing of it was good. Even still, even still, like three, four times later, like uh, and you know, it's coming and you're ready for it. And you're like giggling with anticipation. And it's still a scary fucking image. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I 100% knew it was coming from like countless videos that I've seen or like countdowns of scary moments and like just, you know, just knowing the movie and it being out for forever now. Um, and yeah, it was still scary. It still got me. There's not, I mean, there's not a streaming service. There's not a, there's not a channel on television that doesn't do like a fucking monster movie marathon for Halloween and does not show that clip, you know, in the, uh, in the advertisements for it. It is an, I, I'm, I'm going to say, I think it's one of the most iconic horror images of the 2010 era. I agree. 100%. I agree. Like, it, to me, it's definitely one of the best jump scares in any horror movie. Just because of how perfectly it's set up where it's it's just a common, just a casual like dialogue scene. Obviously not casual from the fucked up shit they're talking about, but there's there's nothing to make you think that anything like that's gonna happen. Like there's no like music build up. Even like the dialogue doesn't even build any kind of tension to lead to it. It's just bam, right? No, it's very middle of the sentence dialogue, right? And then you just hear like that slight I I think it was like a crackle, like that yeah or something. Yeah, something something innocuous. Uh, but it played beautifully. Yeah, that's the best part of it is just how just plain Jane the scene is. It's not overproduced or anything. It's just like sitting down talking. And it's during the daylight when you're supposed to feel safe. It's like things don't happen during the day. So it's, it's great. Great. Scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. Juxtapose that image with uh, what's the actor's name? What is his name? Oh, in this movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick Wilson. Thank you, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson's beautiful, angelic, pale face with that beautiful, like, textured painting in the background. And then fucking Darth Maul. I mean, let's talk about it. All right. Like, let's. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's use this opportunity to talk about the visuals of of this character, which are which are pretty limited to what we've seen so far. It's perfect. Um, Again, that's definitely just practical makeup, but. It works so well. And you don't really even see that much of this, you know, demon character throughout the movie. Like you see at this point, and I think a little bit at the end, but that's it. But it's still enough to just make me very uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate how little they show of it. I think that's what adds so much to it because there's still so much mystery that's surrounding it. It's just like, whoa, is that going to happen again? Like it was just, it's a very innocuous scene that just like carries a lot of weight to it. I tell you, it'll make me think twice next time I tiptoe through some tulips. You don't ever want to tip throw, tip, tip throw, tiptoe. Don't just don't do it. You just don't. You just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the bottom line. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, yeah, so practical effects, uh, the, the, I think it's, it goes back to the less is more I always talk about. This is the scariest interaction that we have with the demon because we see so little of him, but what we see is so striking, um, like core memory creating, right? If, if my kids 
like I hovered over this, you know, on my, on my Amazon fire stick. So it, it played like the slight preview of the movie and it, and it shows that little clip and my kid fucking ran, which, and then I, 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 I was, I was ready. I was ready that if I wasn't ready to do this recording that before I was ready then. Um, and I, and I think we actually, so we see you, we get a full body later on, uh, a couple different times in different ways what we actually get, you know, like a, like an illustrative full body. And then we also get like the, this, this is the entire structure of the demon. And, uh, it, it doesn't do as much for me as this scene still good, but this scene with the less is more that is kind of throughout this film, that kind of style is used. Uh, it, it just works so well. I, I completely agree. I, I don't think it was as it lives up to itself later. And I think that that's because it couldn't live up to itself. Cause the scene was just so good. Like I think anything that was coming after that was going to be a letdown. Like <laughs> when I see him later and I'm like, no, Mary, he's got some like hooves. And oh, you got your little feet. hooves there. Look that's at those. He's filing his nails. He's just like, trotting up along. Day. he's having a good day. Like, oh, it's tiptoeing through the tulips. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tiptoe through the tulips with these assholes. Uh, so at this point, uh, Lorraine calls uh, the psychic Elise Rayner and her paranormal investigators, Specs and Tucker. Um, what what a vibe. Vibe. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. What a vibe. <laughs> Quick question. I, I, I have a very important question. So do you guys trust a guy more or less when he walks into the hot pocket to discuss these kind of things? More. I trust him more. Infinitely more with my life. <laughs> Especially if it's for something important. What if it's... All right. But does it matter what kind? Like if he's got a meatball one, to me, that's like off. I'm like, what's wrong with you? But if he's got like that ham and cheese one, I'm like, ooh. No, I'll never get close uh, enough no. to tell. I just want, it, it, it's not so much about the, the makeup of the pot pocket itself. It's about the act of the hot pocket. And as long as he's biting into it with great gusto and purpose and afterwards going, <laughs> <laughs> which shows me that he's a man. Well, on that the was go. definitely a uh, hot pocket. Yes. He's a man on the go. He's about his business. Um, but he, he commands the room and he's not afraid to feel great pain. So yes, I would follow him endlessly. Yeah, he takes great risk. He's he's a risk taker. He's willing to just bite right into a hot pocket, knowing full well he just cooked it, which is, you know, man's folly. But that's like, a word for hot pockets. <laughs> cooked, yeah. Sorry, lavaed. <laughs> um, yeah, lavaed hot pocket. But yeah, no, I think if it's a meatball one, that that's even more. I think that shows a greater strength because the the meatballs from the hot pocket are like little tiny bullets of lava versus like a cheese and ham one, which is like, it's all going to be hot, but the meatball. Oh no, no, man. So there's additional it, merit inherent to yeah, the meatball yeah, yeah. hot pocket. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I don't even eat the meatball or the ham and cheese hot pockets. I always go pepperoni pizza hot pocket. Oh, pepperoni pizza is a good one. Oh, you mean the heartburn express? Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so after uh, Elise and her investigators arrive, she goes to Dalton's room where she sees the same uh, red-faced demon that uh, Lorraine saw. And you know, obviously the other investigators don't see it. And so she then explains that Dalton is not in a coma, that he was born with the ability to uh, basically astral project or like astral travel. And had been unknowingly doing it uh, in his sleep, thinking he was just dreaming. 
So astral projecting is not something new to our podcast, right? We've talked about it in um, Dr. Sleep, uh, things like that. It, but it, thinking about it in the car ride back home today, I was wondering to myself, you know, how many horror movies are just like a if, if you were to tweak a few scenes, are they not like the precursor story to a superhero? Because this is a this is a fucking superpower this kid has. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. That that makes sense. I never thought of it like that. It's kind of like Brightburn. You've heard of that? Exactly. That. Right. Yeah. With, with with a slightly different lens, like the, these superheroes or or vice versa, these horror stories can completely genre change, right? And that I think that's really what sci-fi should be defined as something that can kind of take something so otherworldly that you can literally go in so many directions. To me, at this point, this is kind of where I started to lose interest. I was like. It didn't feel different to me at this point. And that might be because I'm watching it, um, what, like 12, 11 years later. Um, But I just saw like, I I don't know. It felt very gimmicky at this point where it was just like, oh, he's astroplaning. And I don't know. To me, I was just like, is this how people who don't believe in modern medicine like see comas (laughs) or... Maybe, but I, I do see it as a relatively underused aspect of like the spiritual realm, right? Like you don't hear a ton mm-hmm. of astral projection and planning and whatnot. So I think that that's like, it's a cool attempt to go at it. I think what makes the special ability and everything like that kind of function really well for me and that this movie at this point is just the, how the director just ends up like badassifying uh, Elise immediately, hardcore music crazy mask everything about the scene and when she talks about stuff in a minute like it's it's so good big time yep yeah she's awesome Uh, she says that this time in his uh his like traveling his astral projection that he's uh gone too far and been captured in a purgatory like realm uh referred to as the further uh place inhabited by like tortured souls of the dead uh, she says, without his mental presence, his body is comatose, but spirits desire to use it so they can re-enter the physical world. Uh, some some because they want to live again, and some because they want to hurt others. And at that point, this point, Josh just makes Elise leave. Like, get the fuck out. So, I, I, I hear the merit in what you're saying, Dan, but I, I will say that I, I think this is, you know, 2010. I don't know if this concept had really been explored that deeply yet. Now we might have, we, we might be a little jaded just because it, it, it's been done. It's been recreated. But I think, I, I, I certainly don't want to say it was the first of its kind, but certainly one of the earliest, one of the earlier that I can remember. And I, I think they really nailed the execution. Yeah, I, I, I completely acknowledge that you're probably right like it's probably just because i'm watching it like 12 years later or whatever however long later but yeah i was like this feels like dr sleep 2.0 and i say 2.0 because it was better than dr sleep because that was awful but um but i digress but i think with the like the other movies that came around this time like anything any kind of horror movie that revolved around like spirits ghosts or whatever like it always focused on like things like exorcism or just weird spooky shit happening like there was not much like this astral projection before at least nothing that nothing i remember seeing from around that time so it was something different but yeah i am watching it like you know watching it 10 years after the fact of her you know the horror movie genre has been flooded with so many similar things yeah i can see where it it doesn't have the same 
like uh, attention grabbing as it would have had back then. So uh, Josh sees uh, these drawings of Dalton in his room and they kind of confirm the truth that Dalton has been dreaming and astral traveling. And this is when Josh just kind of loses his shit and just cries. And he's so sad. No, he's finally coming to terms with now he has to fucking do something around this goddamn place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I was fine with doing something, but something more along the lines of, like, the dishes or the yard work, not saving my son from a purgatory-like demon realm. Jesus, Renee, I took the trash out Wednesday. Now I gotta go into the fucking further. God damn it, can a man get some peace around here? <laughs> You know, now that we get a little bit of his backstory with Renee and now his mom, that, you know, this this is basically just a resurgence of something that he did as a child in Dalton, which I think was cool. That the fact that like this this ability had lineage within his family before and this there's a there's a history and a past to this. Um again, things that have been replicated, redone, and we've seen many times since. But uh, I like the way they did this. Um and I I, I was I was captivated still at this point, even watching it today. Uh, so at this point, Elise returns. So she uh, performs a seance to communicate with Dalton, um, which she does contact him. And he warns them of the man with fire on his face, our red faced demon man. Um, Elise screams, uh, appears to faint, but the demon also possesses Dalton's body and tries to attack everyone before Elise gets back up and stops him. That's this this point, which Jarvis touched on a little bit a second ago, that uh, Elise explains that she's known Lorraine for decades and had previously helped Josh when he was eight years old and reveals that he also had the ability to astral project, uh, though he had suppressed it for, you know, all of his life. So all the visions that he's seen throughout the movie, that was the uh, his suppressed memory of the astral projecting he did as a, a child slowly coming back. Elise had helped him uh, protect himself from this parasitic like spirit of some evil old woman that was trying to possess him. And uh, we see images of the woman like slowly moving towards him. Uh, and the only way to rescue Dalton is for Josh to go into the further and save him. Yeah. So this is a callback to the beginning of the film, which we didn't quite touch on uh, with the, with regard to the, uh, the old, uh, the old, Bride, uh, the witchy look, looking. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's how they they kind of referred to her as like the uh, like the the dark bride. I think the dark bride. Oh, I think uh, so. Good imagery, not nearly as striking as our as our demon pal. Who no. was he named? Is he named in the cast? By the way, uh, let me look real quick. I don't. I thought I thought the demon had a name. Uh, I Does do the demon see, have a name? Does the demon uh, have a name? At least according to Wikipedia, uh, Joseph Bashara as Lipstick Face Demon. Lipstick Face Demon? I'm going to go back to the time where I didn't know what they called this individual. <laughs> <and> <laughs> uh, it was, uh, it's the Bride in Black. Is uh, The Bride in Black. Yeah. See, that? Uh, see I like yeah. that name. Okay, hold yeah, on. It was I, Bride in Black or just as the old woman. We're, we're going to play... We're going to play the game. Um, this is what is the demon called? And, uh, we're going to, we're going to rate these here. Uh, we got the lipstick face demon, mm-hmm. also known as the man with fire on his face. The red four out of, face four out of man. Ten. Five out of 10. Sixthas. What is it? Sixthas? Sixthas. Uh, S I X T 
T A S S. Sixtas. Bless you. I mean, you really that should. sounds better. And or or simply, demon. Sure. <laughs> ten out of ten. We're gonna move ten forward. Ten. <laughs> ten out of ten. Best name. Best name. Elise uh, puts Josh in a trance, uh, so he's able to uh, project himself. Uh, not only into the further, but into the house they had just moved from in the further. Um, he fights off, uh, you know, one of the spirits that's been tormenting them and he enters the demon's lair through a red door where he finds Dalton chained up. Uh, he, he frees them, but they're chased and attacked by the demon while the spirits of the further invade the real world and terrorize Renee, Elise, and the others. Uh, after escaping, Josh confronts the uh, the old woman or the uh, bride in black that haunted him as a child, trying once and for all to overcome his fears. The old woman laughs and appears to retreat from him. And when Josh and Dalton return to their bodies, the spirits have all disappeared from their home. So two, three things, really. One, I hated the I, I always hate the overplayed violin things, e- even back then. Like it was just it was overdone at that point. Like like slowly just like crescendoing and moving up chromatically with the violins or whatever um that's the thing i actually enjoy that okay i mean to each his own i i just i've just heard it so much i'm just i'm just over it at this point i don't know violin i I mean when was the violin made i don't i don't know when the violin was invented (laughs) but i mean like a million years ago (laughs) we'll say a million years ago back when <laughs> <What's that? laughs> I bet that motherfucker can play a hell of a violin. In fact, I heard yeah. he met some guy at a crossroads yeah, down in Georgia. <laughs> in Georgia, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the, yeah, it was just a smaller violin. And he no, danced on no. his tiny little hooves. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, the fiddle is the violin, by the way. Yeah, the, it is. The, the uh, second, get it right, Chris. That's what we call uh, it here in the, the fiddle south. was a smaller violin. No. Uh, no. That's it's, what we yeah. call it. In it's just the a way style. of playing the violin is a f- is fiddling. Uh, and you're you fiddling can... with my patience if you think I'm fiddling a violin, fella. <laughs> Come down here in the south. Uh, the the second thing was that um, I felt like I felt like old lipstick face um, killer six ass. Uh, I felt like six ass. Man, I feel, I do not feel comfortable saying it like that. Um, <laughs> six nine, six nine, six nine. <laughs> I feel like it feels very like German language to me. I'm like, six us. Like very aggressive. Yeah, that's pretty close. Okay, fitting. No, that's good. German, um, Germans love demons. <laughs> um, so I, I, I felt like the, I felt like six us got the raw end of the deal. He has to like sharpen his claws. Like, I mean, he's a magical being. Shouldn't he just already have like everything he wants? Ooh, super glad you brought that up. Okay, so I, I do want to talk about uh, that scene in general, but but more so, I, I do want to talk about our old buddy Sixtas. Because this, I mean, this guy, if you think about it, he's like this omnipotent demonic figure, right? He's like this antichrist middle world leader, right? He oversees like the further, which which in a lot of ways could we could we could derive as purgatory or, or whatnot. Like this guy's got it made. He lives in basically like a fucking castle, 
of of demons, I guess. Whatever, you know. He, yeah, like, something like that. But he, he's probably a big fucking deal. But you know what this guy doesn't do? He doesn't rest on his accomplishments. He he doesn't just say, "Well, I got plenty of souls. I'm gonna just stop here." No, that motherfucker is diligent. He is sharpening his fucking crazy fingernails. He is listening to the creepiest music out on the scene right now. I bet his workout routine is fucking insane. Did you see the legs? That dude can squat a lot. Okay. I love this character. He's just always working so hard. He is. He's a hard worker. He's a go-getter. He is a go-getter. When you think of like how, how long this guy's been around and like what he's done, like wouldn't he just sit on a throne until it's time to go like, you know, take the soul of another child? No. My guy's getting after it. And I respect him. But it's ultimately his downfall. He could have gone after any other astral plane walking child, but instead he went to the like Goku Gohan of the astral projection world and had to fight Super Saiyans uh, who can beat the shit out of him. So like, no, I I don't know. I, I agree with you. He deserves his credit. He's a he's a strong, independent Freddy Krueger knife sharpening uh demon named Sixtas, but uh I don't know, man. He could have just taken he could have taken the L on this one, but he didn't. He kept going after it. I don't know. He didn't. And much like in Dragon Ball Z evolution, white people came up and just beat him. <laughs> much as Dragon Ball Z was always supposed to be. And we all know as an irrefutable fact. It's so bad. The the last thing I was gonna say was um I wasn't a big fan of that last scene where they, um, where all the spirits were walking towards and then they were just like, whoa, they're gone. And it just, I don't know. It felt so hokey. I, I just, I, I mean, again, like I'm, I'm just pointing out these little negatives. Like I like the movie overall, but like there's just a couple of things where it just felt like kind of hokey and it was like, eh, it took me out of it. Yeah. They, I feel like they just, much like how the movie progressed extraordinarily quick and then it slowed down for its like slow burn of, of like a middle to a near and end, it ended really fast. I don't know if it needed to be strung out any further or what, but I agree with you. It, it was hokey because it was just kind of, and we're done. Okay, cool. All done. Hokey, maybe. Yeah, it, it <laughs> picks up, it picks up, it kind of slows down. It ebbs and flows. I don't, I, I don't know if we would call it, it well, how, how, it, how it's paced. Uh, but it's, it's deliberate, I guess. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of storyline, you know, it's not, cause yeah. it's not just the demon. It's like, this guy's got a whole past. It's like this fucking weird old lady and her, you know, teenage hot pocket crew or, you know, they're ghost hunters now. And, you know, we got to introduce <laughs> these fucking crew. guys and, uh, you know, and, and not all the, not all the ghost things were, were bad. I, I don't think remember like the, like the, the freeze frame family that would ch- every time you turned around, yeah, you're yeah. in a new position. That was kind of cool. I, yeah, I like cool. it. I enjoyed that. that one. I, I do, I, I do see the, the argument for like some of the things being hokey. Cause like some of these demons, which were like really fucking strong and you know, these looming characters, like they beat the shit out or he was beating up Renee at one point, And then Josh just like punches him in the stomach and he's like, Wah! and he like falls into the fucking dark. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some things just rough. punches to the gut. Oh. <laughs> Goku, man, Goku strikes again. <laughs> it did, it did feel very much like the conjuring ending where all the crews are like going crazy and like it's it's like another big giant crescendo of an ending it's very james wan it feels like in these kind of movies outside of like saul which i guess that was kind of a crescendo of an ending too where it's like the music's going crazy and it's cutting scenes back and forth and then just ends with like a big abrupt ending 
Yeah, but that was a big reveal with Saw. Totally, that's totally true. different kind of movie. Yeah, the big reveals at the end. That's the big payoff. That's the that's the ha 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 right at the end. This this did, did kind of end a little a, a little smoother, right? Not not, not smoother, but like I, I guess less climactic. So um, as we get to the end, or this is the end, um, the family's happy. They're celebrating that, you know, Josh and Dalton are back. All the spirits are gone. Um, but Elise kind of feels like something's not right about Josh. It seems a little off. Um, so she decides to take a picture of him. Like she basically says, like, you know, oh, well, trying to make up for the pictures didn't get of you when you were younger. And he immediately gets super pissed off about it and strangles her to death. Uh, Renee comes back and is horrified when she finds uh, Lisa's dead body. And even more when she sees the photo Elise took. Uh, she looks at the photo, it reveals that Josh is now the evil woman from his childhood. And she possessed him when he confronted her in the further. And that's how the movie ends. James Wan said, hold up, I'm not done. We need a sequel. I need more money. <laughs> and seven more after that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, like, in James Wan fashion, I believe he directed the second one, and then he said, eh, I'm done. If I'm not mistaken, because I know he's done that with uh, several of his, like, horror movies. He directs, like, the first one, maybe the second one, and then he's like, all right, I'm good. Overall, not a not a bad direction to leave it at on the cliffhanger. Um, no, and as and as since I just saw the uh, second one, um, it, it picks up almost immediately after. Mm-hmm. No, you get good solace. You feel like you know the the story the story ends responsibly, like everyone's happy, and then oh, big reveal! Shit's still gonna go down, and and now we've lost a key character. In um, mm-hmm. what's, what, what, what's our what's our favorite lady's name? Don't Elise. Elise. Oh, Elise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now, and now we don't have to save. <laughs> We've got to save Dalton. But yeah, so, but now we'll do it without the safety of Elise. So I, mm-hmm. I actually like the ending. Yeah. So overall, big fan of the film. Agreed. I, I, I think it set out to do what it did. It blasted through it. It added some new fun, like, lexicon pieces to like the horror world and, and like brought some new things up and it, it made it, it made a place for itself, even though I don't know what the popularity of it is now, like the whole series, but yeah, like, like Chris said, I, I think the second one was apparently good. So the, the second one, uh, did take place like immediately after this one. The third one is like a prequel about like Elise's life. Um, Jackie said that one was okay. That there was like a fourth one called like, uh, the last key, which, uh, from most uh, information I've seen is not a favorite of a lot of people. And then apparently there is a fifth one coming out in July, which will be uh, continuing not? this family story. Um, so it's supposed to be like 10 years after the uh, second one. Or is I think it? actually the fourth one, I think the, the one, the, the last key also uh, uh, revolved around the Lamberts. And it's in space, right? <laughs> no, um, but I will say it is being directed by Patrick Wilson. Ah, so an under uh, underwater lair. Got it. All right. Yep, <laughs> yep. Uh, Jason Momoa was in it too. Really crazy. Huh. I actually think this might be like his first like directorial movie. Well, you know, let's hope yep, it's good. That it, it is the first time he is directing. 
That's fine. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully it's good. Yeah. If it's not, I mean, I at least give him credit that he like, he loves the series enough that yeah, yeah. he's willing to be the director himself. And I don't, I don't think Juan has anything else. Like, I don't think he's a part of it. So, uh, at this point, uh, just very quickly, we, we all say everybody should go watch it. Right. Uh, absolutely. hundred yeah, percent. Big thumbs up. Sweet. Uh, Chris, if you're done the the little summary there, let's go ahead and mm-hmm. um, let's move over to the spoopy meter. Dan, what, what's the spoopometer got? I'm really tempted to go zero out of six stars. <laughs> <laughs> we would um, not fault you. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. I would just need you to give me a rough idea of what that is numerically. Yeah, well, six, six stars. Zero out of six well, stars. Zero out of oh, six okay. stars. <laughs> What's one stars, two stars, three stars, yeah. four, five stars, six stars, seven stars, more. Give me more. <laughs> um, but I, I think we'll stick with what I have. So the teacher salary on average in LA is about like 52,000 to 76,000 a year. Um, that's just was a quick Google search of it. Is are, we factoring, are we factoring if he has tenure? Um, well, who cares? Because he has, he has tenure. <laughs> These <laughs> houses were around two million each by today's standards. Um, Mother and, of God! And even back when the one was sold in 1994, I saw that it sold for like in the two hundred thousands. Um, still, a lot of money on really just one salary. Probably, I don't know how much she makes yeah. off of jingles. I, I don't know. It seems like freelance work. <laughs> I'm not saying that you can't make money off of it. It's just, I, I don't know what she's making off of freelance work. So, but I don't think, I don't think enough freelance work will give you that kind of house in LA. But even if, even if the one was dropped by like a million dollars, so we're saying like, or like 200,000. Um, so I went for a mortgage uh, every month and I just kind of estimated between 1.8 to 2 million for each of those homes. So what would you give it between five thousand and six thousand dollars? Oh, okay. So we're not doing for your mortgage. Yeah, how, how much of a mortgage okay. would you pay for this movie? Yeah. Between five thousand and six thousand. Uh God, I'm uh, poor. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I feel that's that all so we, much. That's all we've really learned. <laughs> that's all we've learned this episode that each of us is just like, oh fuck, I'm poor. Oh, Can you geez. tell this podcast is just a group of young professionals who just who just want a bigger goddamn house. We're all so tired. We're all so poor. We're also very tired. Give me money. Money me. Money, please. Money. Uh, if I had to give it a, I, I would give it five and six dollars. It's, it's pretty good. $5,800 a month. That's a big, that, that, that's, that's yeah. my praise. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of run the same as Kyle. I'd probably go, uh, I'd probably do 58. Maybe I'll, you know, I'm going to go 5850. Uh, just because really enjoyed it. And that jump scare gets extra points out of me. Mm. Hmm. 58, oh, 58, 51. If we're doing prices, right. Fucking rules, Chris, <laughs> you son um, of a bitch. <laughs> you've outbid me. Yeah. I, you, know, it's, it's, it, it, you know, this is strictly for spoop. Yeah. I, I think, I think we're, we're just going to roll it all into one at this point. We talked a yeah, lot about spoop, how yeah, we yeah. felt about it, but yeah. Yeah. yeah the overall, be, be, just because the, 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 the scariness is, is iconic. Um, and even the parts that are hokey, uh, they play well. So yeah, 50, 58, 51. Fuck you, Chris. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Well, then I'll go 
5869. Nice. My man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely if you haven't seen it, go do it. It it blew by. I will say it blew by. Uh I usually, you know, every movie's at least two hours nowadays. Uh an hour and forty five is is a, a godsend. And it 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 goes by fast. It, the beginning's a little slow, but just push past it, and then things like ramp up really fast, and the movie's over, and you're like, "Oh, okay." Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to maybe watching the new one to see how uh, uh, not Patrick Warburton does. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say if you ever uh, watch the second one, the second one is pretty much the same runtime. It's uh, I think it's a uh, we just said an hour forty six. Cool. So if you can survive that extra minute. <laughs> I don't mean to alarm you, gentlemen, but I think this may be the highest rated film collectively that we have ever done between oh, us. Wow. So I think the only other close one would probably be like Gerald's Game. Oh, wait, sure. Oh, oh, you mean for our rating? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know. I kind of have an actual like rated film. Yeah, I thought, I thought you yeah. meant like uh, Rotten Tomatoes rating. I was, <laughs> yeah, no, I was no. like, wait, I think the thing is higher. But this is yeah, probably no, up there. <laughs> no, Maximum Overdrive is probably one of the best. <laughs> God, I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. So bad. Well, thanks for joining us back up on another episode. Uh, it was a fun one. It's, it feels great to be back. and Or maybe we've already been here. Maybe we've always been here. But either way, I want to go ahead and thank Connor McLeod. Uh, I want to thank Andrew Cavanaugh and Travis Kaiser, all for assistance uh, with our podcast. And I want to thank you for listening or continue to listening or, you know, thanks for tuning in. Give us a little rating. Give us a little hello. Uh, all of our podcast stuff should be in all of our episode details. Otherwise, I guess we will uh, let this last little piece go to Chris. Chris, what, what do we have to say? Thanks for stopping by and having a horrible time. I'm gonna uh, fucking I'm go. gonna nipple. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not a sex thing, but it's kind of a sex thing. Ever wonder what happened to the cha-cha slide part three that DJ Casper promised us to in cha-cha slide part two? Questions answered and more in the next episode as the friends torture us with their horrible reviews.